With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. What's going on, grappling fans? Happy Friday to you. Hope you've made it through the week okay. I know things are crazy out there, but we're going strong here at Flow Grappling HQ. Michael and I are back again for another episode of Who's Number One. We had a bit of a, a roster change, a last-minute roster change. Lucas Lepre had some things come up, but we're hoping to have him back on the show very soon, maybe next week, maybe the week after. But we're very excited to welcome Dante Leon onto the show. Uh, amazing, amazing grappler. Had a fantastic 2019 of course, hasn't had much of a chance to do anything in 2020, but we're looking forward to him returning to the match soon. Also joining us on the call today is Bear from Shoy Roll, and of course, my co-host, Michael Sears. Dante, how you doing, man? How's life right now for you? Uh, good, man. I don't think anything I'm doing is any different than anybody anybody else is doing. Uh, pretty much just staying inside, trying to stay safe, but I'm fortunate enough to have uh, mats in the gym at my house where I can... Uh, still get some workouts in, still, you know, relieve some stress, relieve some anxiety from being inside all day. And I have mats to offer my students some video and things like that. So I'm pretty fortunate during this time. How much you lift in these days? I know you got that, you got a pretty big, uh, weightlifting area in your garage. Are you just lifting way more than usual? Yeah. <clears throat> Are we going to uh, see like a new gorilla sized Dante when this is all over? <laughs> you might, you might, honestly, I, it'll be from the food that I'm eating more than <laughs> what i'm doing but um right now i'm kind of just lifting the same I, I still try and keep a four four day split two days on the upper two days lower i might throw in like one accessory day um but my lifting's kind of the same just a, maybe a little more volume just a little more sets and reps during the workout because i don't have to worry about so much recovery from like a hard comp training because nobody to train with you know how much been watch- are you, wa- you watching on that yeah you watching tiger king over there well, I watched the first episode, and I didn't get, like, any further, but then I just heard all this hype, so I know I got to go back. To all right, let me, hear what you, let me hear what you think about the first episode. I know. I'm pretty hooked, man. I'm on episode I'm, four now. Barry, you finished it? Not yet, man. I only slept two hours last night, so I because I watched seven episodes of Tiger King and Joe Exotica. I'm trying to buy some merch. Yeah. Uh, let, let, let me think back of the first episode. What happens? Dante, what, did, what happened in that episode you watched? So the first episode kind of just introduces you to uh, Doc, Joe, um, what's the lady's name, Kathy or Carol? Carol, Carol, bro, you don't know Carol. nothing yet, yeah. man. <laughs> so you don't know nothing yet. Out, but I, a bunch of people texted me, a bunch of memes. I have a couple people I follow on Instagram who all their memes are pretty much just that. So. Uh, I gotta say, my favorite aspect of the show is that they all make music videos. I think that's just like Dude. so awesome. Dante, have you seen any of, of Joe Exotic Joe Exotic's music videos yet? Yeah, he showed a couple. Bro, I saw a Tiger was one of them. <laughs> oh man, I wish we could play that. We should try and get permission to start opening the show man. with that. Uh, Guys, crazy for real, man. Bro, what do you see? Okay, I'm gonna give you some spoilers. Uh, Joe Exotic is married to like three different dudes. I don't know what, and then Doc, Doc, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
don't give away the spoilers, man. That guy Doc. I knew it had to take a while. That guy Doc. No, but he's not married to like three. Dante. He's not married to like three different dudes. Like they don't know about it. They all live with him. They're all park rangers. And then for sure, hundred percent. That's the best. The, it's the uh, best thing since Narcos. That other guy, Doc, has got like <laughs> ten wives, Dante. I don't know, man. It's wild. And then, what do you see about Carol Baskin and her husband? Not the guy she's with now, the old one. Oh, it's a tangled web. A like tangled web, episode. for sure. Barry, you got you got to that point with what people think happened with Carol and her first husband? Yep. I got like one more episode, I think, or two. Like, for sure, I'm not going to... Even if I don't sleep any hours tonight, I'm going to finish it tonight, guaranteed. What do you think? She, do you think she fed him to the Tigers? Let's not stop. Let's let's not ruin it for the viewers, man. Come on, let's let's move on to the next subject. Let's talk about judicial. I think no she more, did no it. I'm still watching. <laughs> Mike Michael wants to get that out there, man. He's been chopping at the bit. He's got to set things straight. Anyways, yeah. If you guys can't tell, that's something we've been doing. Dante, would you would you uh, have a pet tiger cub? Would you be into it? Would you be scared? Uh, no. I don't play with wild animals, dude. <laughs> Just wrestles them. No. That's all. No, I wouldn't want to have one of those things. I wouldn't want to, dude. When they're, yeah, it looks grew, like when they're. I grew up on a farm, man. I grew up with a bunch of animals. I don't play with wild animals. No way. Man, uh-huh. dude. Uh, when they're little babies, yeah, they look cute. But when they get big, man, they could just get mad at you for a second and just bite your hand off. Fuck, man. man they all just right. they just play like dogs. Sometimes just play and they hurt you. Uh, you imagine what that thing will do to you. Dante, go finish this show, and then you're going to have you on next week, and we're going to find. We're, I want to hear your your final re- review of everything. I want to hear your favorite characters, who your favorite big cat breeders are, because there's a lot of them. There's some interesting ones. All right, what else we got to, to talk about today? Man, a whole bunch of stuff. But um, I guess Dante, you know, you're a guy who places a, a strong emphasis uh, on strength and conditioning. You know, we've talked to you a few different times about it. We've, we've done some filming on that. Do you think that's the number one thing people can do to improve their jiu-jitsu while they're on quarantine? You know, a lot of people don't have access to live-in training partners or much space to do much else. Um, what should people be doing in their off time? Oh, man, I think you should try and have jiu-jitsu be involved in your life somehow. If jiu-jitsu is like a part of your life at all, I don't think just because you're outside the gym that you should take off from that. So that that's pretty much number one, whether you can do some movement training or you can get a grappling dummy, somebody you live with, study, um, film, all kinds of things that you can do. But on the other hand, you have to do something else too. And you have to do something that's fun, something that interests you. I just, I really like to lift. I really like to work out. Um, I love lifting heavy. I love getting stronger. I love getting in better shape. It's just something I really love doing. So it's kind of like a, it's kind of like a therapy for me. It's what I enjoy doing. Some people might enjoy going for a walk, riding a bike. Uh, if you can't do that, some people might enjoy like calisthenics, yoga, whatever. Whatever it is that you enjoy, you have to do it. So you gotta do something fun, man. Because you're stuck in here. You don't don't do something you don't want to do. You're just gonna make yourself crazy. <laughs> do you ever find yourself uh, just in the backyard doing forward rolls and hip escapes across the grass? Never. You know. I, don't know. <laughs> I haven't found myself there once. <laughs> no, unfortunately, hey, Dante, some Dante. guys that I train with, yeah, go ahead, Bear. No, Dante, you like super interesting question for you too, man. Like you've been you've been at this chase for like a super long time. You know, not many people know. Like you know, you just came off the ADCC win, and like you've been making more waves here. But like you've been at it for a long, long time. And not only that, you started at you know, like you started to make some waves in the 
in the sports space, like when you were like 14 or 16, whatever that time may be. But like, what what's like, just like, can you share some of that stuff on like how you've kind of been like, like not been discouraged over this period of time? Because like a lot of people say like, yeah, I'm gonna chase the dream. I'm gonna like, I'm never gonna give up. Like it's kind of cliche, you know? But like, I think for you, you've been able to kind of like finally make that next step up, um, you know? And just mm-hmm. like, just some of your training regiments, training with big teams, training with small teams, what's worked the best for you, you know, in all situations, you know, from a small place. So. Yeah, so because jiu-jitsu has been a part of my life for so long, it's it's harder to think of my life without jiu-jitsu than it is to think of it with jiu-jitsu. Like, there's been more time in my life spent training jiu-jitsu than without it. Uh, and I'm only 24 years old, so that's definitely something. So for me, it's a little easier for me to find the motivation to uh, train and make the most out of my training at this time. I, I have mats at my house and I have a gym in my garage for a reason. So I can never be without it. That was, that was always the reason. Uh, if I was two feet of snow in Ohio, we couldn't get to the gym. I had it in my house. So there was always that, that, uh, that accessibility I had that I made available, uh, with that. And then given that I'm from a, when you're talking about smaller training compared to like with big teams, I've done all kinds of training you can think. Um, with small teams, big teams, everything like this. But I've just, I'm from a small town. Um, I grew up with a small team. I was on smaller teams. So now, like, with my training being a little bit smaller, and now especially really small, like down to, like, two people that I'm in direct contact with all the time or the only people I can really train with, I can definitely make the most of it because I've been there before. Um, This is, like, I've had this kind of training before my biggest competitions, before my biggest events. So, it just takes more time and more work off the mat than on the mat. If you don't have all those training partners and you don't have a coach sitting there to study, you just need to study more and you need to work out harder, train a little harder than everybody else. Dante, we were talking about this a little bit before we got started here today about the benefits of a big team versus smaller teams. And um, could there be a shift in the future? You know, um, we were maybe thinking that the, the dominance of huge teams might start to fade away but, I mean, as anyone's guess at this point, what's your take on that? I don't even really like to call the the whole thing teams anymore as much as I'd like to call them clubs. Like, I would almost like to say, like, how they say in wrestling, like, it's the it's the training center, it's he's fights at, a, like, this club or that club. Because when we're talking about teams, it's almost like we're getting too big. We're going across, like, nations. We're going, like, intercontinental with these teams like Alliance and Atos, GF team even, all these teams are just so big that you can't just say that everybody's from the same team. You have to you have to like boil it down a little more and say what gym they're from or what club they're from. Like when we're talking about Pedago, nobody would really say he's a Heath Pedago guy or he's a Pedago guy. They would go down the line and say you're a Hickson or a Boggy or something like this that has a, like a broader statement as a team. I, I just think those days are numbered, man, of these big teams. I think it, it, it needs to lean more towards a club, more towards a training center. Yeah, you have to think some of these guys um, that represent teams like Alliance or Atos, they never even train with each other, but that has implications too for their, their competition runs. You know, we saw, for example, Johnny Tama have to close out to Lucas Lepri. Uh, the first time he ever made it to the second day of the world championships, he had to close out in the quarterfinals. Quarterfinals, yeah. You know, and that was heartbreaking for him because, of course, he wanted Johnny to Johnny Tom had to close out twice in the quarterfinals last year, I think. Really? I believe he did it at Pans, too, mm. to Sinistro. 
I believe I remember that. So I definitely see that being part of that, yeah. that problem there. Barry, what do you think about but the all interesting this? Too, the interesting thing, too, is like you, like Dante says, right? Like, I think like everyone's like everyone's been a part of a team slash like I, I'm the first one to be like to say I don't like to cheerlead for a team is pretty much like crazy, right? But so I love to cheerlead for my team. But like the, I think where it hurts the sport and the culture is like when athletes want to fight at the world championship or this pinnacle event, like because of the team structure and because it might cause drama within a team, you know, the best interest of a team means these two people, you know, don't fight or they do fight and the team's okay with it. And I think like, I think like, like Dante was saying, like clubs, everybody, all these people are from different places and different areas of the world and they're all different clubs and they just fight under one flag. And that ultimately I think hurts the sport as consumers and viewers like ourselves. And not only that, it hurts the athletes as well, right? It, it benefits the team, but it hurts the athlete and it hurts the consumer, the fan of the sport, because we want to see that that fight. So that's my that's my take on it. Above yeah. teams or like if they're a club, like when they're on big teams, you're saying it's hard, like two guys from like each team to fight each other. If they're on the same team, it's usually like a closeout, right? Yeah, or even yeah, like yeah, like yeah, whether yeah, big teams fighting each other, like um, more the um, like whether you're on the same team, whether you're on the same club, like for me as a me for me as a as a fan, like you need a fight. Like if I was on if I was on the for structure sure. of I ran the team, like and I didn't want people to have drama, like I would be like, don't fight, close out, give it to so and so. But like I'm purely yeah. giving it as a fan, right? Like I totally get their pers- perspective, sure. but like. This 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 leads actually good into our first match that we're going to review. Before we pull it up, uh, let's talk about because this this is uh, you and Jaime both GFT. You didn't close out at Nogi Worlds. What ended up happening there, uh, Dante? No, I, I offered it up that I think we should fight for it. Um, I looked at it as we neither of us had won an uh, adult world title at black belt. And uh, I, I just didn't think it was something that would want to be shared. I don't think you would want to look back on your first world title and say, like, oh, I won. But, no, he really won or vice versa. So I offered it up. He agreed to it. And we had a great match, man. I think we had the best match of uh, – definitely the best match of the day. Maybe one of the better matches of the tournament. Fight. How do you feel about closeouts personally? <clears throat> uh, man, so – uh, what Bear said is, is is very true, and he's speaking from like the fan stand, um, like standpoint, from his point of view as a fan. So if I'm going to speak like from mine, I think that the culture behind there being drama, or there being like some form of like respect about the team or respect about this, I think that like old culture kind of has something to do with that. I think if something new is kind of introduced, like this is a sport, there's starting to be money on the line now. Like people are starting to make money. People are starting to make a living. It's not just a tournament anymore. It's not just something to be shared. Uh, it means something. It, there's a big difference between like first and second. There's a big difference between like first and third. So the more that I think the culture shifts towards like, we're going to see who, who, who the best is. We, we have to fight. It's just the tournament. Cause at the end of the day, it's just the tournament. It's just a fight. It's jujitsu, man. You know, we can just pick ourselves up and we can come back and do it again. Yeah, and it's like, uh, I mean, you you can do the little thing everybody does, like both take a picture with the medal and and take take, uh, change places on the podium. 
But five years Bullshit. from now, when somebody goes to look at the results from 2019 Nogi Worlds, it would have said Dante <laughs> Leon's in second place, right? Oh, man, yeah, it's, one of my, it's one of my least favorite things know, that I see. But you know, listen, it doesn't matter about, about all these oh other people who talk about it. It matters about like what you're going to live with. And you have I to live through like, guys. Sorry. once you talk, I'm sorry. you better remember that. You have to think about that moment like, yeah, I didn't win a world title. I closed out for a world title. You know what I mean? And, I mean, as far as your legacy goes, I mean, I'm sure Bear can speak from a sponsor standpoint. Like, going out there, like, and really be like, okay, let's say let's say you're on Sunday at the Pyramid. And you could either go out there and just shake hands with some guy and, okay, you're the champ now. Or you go out there and you you beat somebody in front of the crowd and you, you take that world title. It, it's it's a different accomplishment. Wouldn't you agree? 100%. 100% is a different thing. It's It's completely different. And it's that's just like the most special feeling. That's the most uh, like growing up in jujitsu. Like I said, like IBJJF Worlds was like the big thing. You know what I mean? So if you had that opportunity to really like be there in the spotlight and earn your world title, it has a way different energy, way different feeling than it would be if you closed out. Like an example would be Gabriel Arges closed out with Otavio his first year at Black Bow when they won a world title and you didn't see a whole lot of emotion on his face. And then the next year he won the world title. Yeah. And Otavio lost in the semifinals to Tinoco. And he like was bawling his eyes. He's super emotional. There's a huge difference. There's a huge difference in the feeling and in that second title compared to his first, you know what I mean? Because technically speaking, you can say he's a three time world champion because he did close out. But you didn't see that same kind of emotion. You didn't see that same kind of fire you did as when he won his second or his third world title. All right. I have a clip here from the match we were talking about where you and Jaime, this is the final from 2019 Nogi Worlds. Uh, if you want to cue that up, Caleb. Here we go. Man, this arm bar was nasty. Walk us through what's going on here a little bit, Dante. So, uh, so here I was just trying – I was getting to my knee through pass position. I was getting to my – kind of what some people call a headquarters position. Uh, I knew I had some good base. I knew he was taller so I could uh, dig my underhooks well. And I shot through to the underhook for that knee slide. I went to the mount. I tried for the back here. So he started to come off a little bit. And I had a good bite around his arm and around his leg. So once I came for this arm, I was able to stretch his base out and roll him over. From here, I was a little bit... I was a little bit... Got kicked in the face. as well with, <laughs> with the knees. Uh, you can see my hips kind of open up a little bit, and I'm kind of too – I mean, there is definitely some damage done there. I have PTSD about the sound, but uh, – oh um, I was going to ask you about that. The, <laughs> the, like, the way my hips were open, I was already stretched all the way back. I believe it gave him some breathing room and um, some space for him to escape, but – yeah, he's a all warrior, the, man. He's, all the blue belts on Instagram uh, jumped okay. in there and said, "Why aren't you pinching your knees together?" All, all, all the yeah, I know. Critics. I mean, I can always, I can always count on one of them to let me know where I fucked up, <laughs> either on that or how I lift or whatever. You know, there's always somebody on Instagram can tell you how to fix everything. So this is that was a white belt. That was a white belt that gave you that feedback. It's only been there for six months training, by the yeah. way. Yeah, so Th this yeah, setup probably. Though, I've seen you hit this arm lock several times before. Usually set up not from that little scramble, but from close guard, right? When people stand up, you like ar that arm lock, don't you? I do, I do, and I I've set this one up 
So in 2018, I hit an armbar from the back on somebody, and you guys, Flow Grappling shares it often. I hit it in my second fight against a pretty tough, uh, pretty tough kid, and I ended up hitting this exact armbar where I dropped down on the arm and the leg at the same time. So it's kind of like a sneakier attack that I do. Definitely wasn't my first option. I definitely wanted to either secure mount of the back to then work for a finish from there. Yeah, that guy has noticed we've used the clip more than once. I remember he commented the last time we posted it. He was like, how many times are you guys going to fucking when, post this clip? When's it from? <laughs> is this uh, a black belt match? Yeah, I think. Is it, is it Nogi Worlds? Yeah. Like, two, yeah, two years yeah. ago. I, me- yeah. I remember you hitting that arm lock on somebody at Worlds as a brown belt, too, in the gi. Yeah, it was a yeah, guy. I think, I, I, think, I think you were losing the match I and you hit it, it and tapped the guy. Yeah, he, like, almost, he got an advantage or something right at the beginning, and then he ended up in my clothes guard, and then I hit that on him. Yeah, that one was funky. Dante, you've kind of made a transition to, I mean, not a full-time no-gi competitor, but I feel like a lot of your, your success of late has been no-gi. Is that um, a new direction for you, a new focus? Or not new, but I mean, um, is that where you're looking next, I suppose, yeah. is a better question. Yeah, 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 for sure. I, I, would, I would say that's, that's my focus. I mean, um, I've had success there. The... The events are exciting. The The Nogi fights, the Nogi events are very exciting. It's kind of the pace and the energy that I like. Um, it's a professional-like event, so the treatment and the, the, the publicity and everything like that is very good, and I see it heading in the right direction. I see that being the future of the sport, to be paid, to be a professional, to be you know, a real athlete. Uh, do you? Th- I feel That's like I think if the sport starts to go more that way, you're going to see kind of the, the the mindset change about these big teams. I think because you're going to see a lot of people making money, and there's going to be a lot of pirates in one room. You know what I'm saying? There's going to be a lot of guys out to make the money or out to get the title all in one room, and people are going to start to say, you know, hey, uh, uh-uh. uh. No I, I, fe- I feel like uh, your style too. I mean, you're obviously. I mean, you're very good in the gi. You beat some great people, but. Uh, I think your style lends itself better to Nogi just because, I mean, you really thrive in the scrambles. And, and if there's action, if it's an exciting fight, it's better for you. Wouldn't you say, like, if it turns into a slow-down yeah. tactical fight, that's not your best position. And that happens more in the gi. For sure. I mean, you always have to have strategy no matter no matter what anybody says. If it's no time limit submission only or it's six minutes with points, you have to have a strategy. You have to have some kind of game plan and, and some cautions about your opponent. But when when these fights get like really slow it, it's just not exciting it does it does not it doesn't excite me it doesn't motivate me in any way to want to play the advantage game or the points game i know i've won fights by points and advantages so i don't i'm not saying that they're not necessary but when you when you really like limit the game so much and it ends up being some kind of tactical battle it just it it's not interesting to me it's really not dante Dante, you, you hit on something like super interesting because you, you would be able to give really good perspective on this um, orga- organization aside. But like if you were to use a, a rule set like ADCC where you have like, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes of, of strategy and you were to use like a Kasai rule set of, you know, like a six minute um, time frame as an athlete um, to open up more. What do you prefer? What do you prefer more on a time um, on a time for, for like a time constriction? Do you prefer shorter like eight to six minutes and just being able to like go uh, or do you prefer like this longer 15 minute format or 20 minute format over a four or five period 
uh, time for you as an athlete to showcase what you really can do, you know? So. Yeah. Um, man, you know, and I know you can do both. My, I know my... you can do both. And I know there's nothing wrong with both of them. More just like, yeah. what do you think you can open up and excel in if you really, if you really want to let it go? I really like ADCC rule set. I really do. I think it's uh, the first five minutes of the no points. You start to see the contrast in styles. You see the guys who are waiting to get points. You see the guys who are kind of dragging the fight along. Then you see the veterans who are dragging the guy into the deep water. You see the guys who think they can finish people going out there and head hunting. I think it's it's that's what creates the best clash of styles is ADCC because everybody's going to take a different spin on that rule set. Everybody's going to use that first five minutes a little differently uh you have like guys who are just going to come out there and, and try and take your head off they're going to try and submit you i mean i think craig this year submitted two or three guys in the first five minutes so i mean and you know there's a lot of other guys who are using their first five minutes just to get going to you know or to tie you out or something like that so i think that way you see the most contrast in styles the only problem i see with six minutes with all points is it's still a short time and it's still a way that guys can eat up a clock really quick and kind of make these uh, tactical fights that are just shorter in time. All right. So that, that leads us up perfectly to the next thing I want to talk about with ADCC, which is uh, how did you feel being there, Dante? Your, your very first ADCC, because it, it's for people who haven't been there, it's a different experience. It's not like being at just a regular tournament. It's almost like you're at like WrestleMania or the Super Bowl or something like there's, there's just something in the air, right? <laughs> Yeah, it's different, man. It's definitely crazy. Um, it it doesn't compare to anything else you've ever been at. There's just... Uh, I think the thing about ADCC is how unknown it is. It's almost like a secret... Almost like a little secret society. Like, if you've been there, you've been there, you know? You know, but... Outside of that, like, in the real world of jiu-jitsu, nobody can really speak anything about it besides the guys who've been there and the guys who competed. So, it's a very special event. Uh your first match before we're we're gonna we're gonna watch the Lepre match in, in a second, but your first match w- was a rough one. How how did you feel after that uh, Satava match where you you barely uh, made it to overtime by the skin of your teeth? I mean, I felt I felt good. I made a mistake. I knew the rules. I knew I had to stay on my side to not give up those three points. And once I did, I had a lot more energy, a lot more strength, way better pace than he did for the overtime. So I was able to secure the win pretty quickly in overtime. I believe it took me a minute and a half or two minutes to get the takedown and get to his back. Uh, just a tough time getting started. People want to discount Satava. He's a fucking tough guy, man. He's really, yeah, really real good. Tough. So um, just kind of a guy who's unknown. It wasn't my best fight, definitely, but I made some mistakes. But I, I came back really well. And in the overtime, I knew that I have the, have the game to win it. I mean, I showed it right there. So then second round, quarterfinals, you got Lucas Lepre, uh, one of the best lightweight competitors of all time. Uh, what did you think when you saw the brackets and you're like, all right, if I win my first one, I got Lucas first. What are you thinking about that matchup? Uh, really was not too worried, was pretty excited about it. Uh, Lucas was a guy who I studied because I knew his game could give me some trouble. He likes to pass the exact same guard that I like to play. Like that's his favorite guard to pass. That's my favorite guard to play that quarter guard, that half guard reverse De La Hiva type. That's where he just eats guys up at. And that's where I'm comfortable. And I tend to get the majority of my sweeps from. So I knew it was going to be a great clash of styles. I knew it take, took a little homework, a little bit of studying on his game. And uh, once I got out there, I used that first five minutes to kind of feel him out a little bit. 
I, I attacked quite a bit in the first five minutes, so I got a good feel on them, and then, you know, the confidence just grew. What kind of adjustments did you make ahead of the match? You knew that he was going to uh, feel comfortable in that position that you like to play. What modifications did you make to address that? I remember two different people came out to me and said, don't play half guard with them or don't play quarter guard with them or don't play. And honestly, what was I going to do? That's that's my game. That's where we're going to end up. He forces you there and I'm comfortable there. So I'm not going to go out there and think I'm going to play close guard or anything. My game was my game is how it's going to be. If if he's better at passing than I am at playing, then I'm not, not going to win and vice versa. You know, I ended up winning. All right, uh, Caleb, you want to cue up that uh, that replay of uh, this Lepre match? So yeah, here you are playing a little half guard. So this sweep that I hit right here is kind of like one that we practiced a lot. So I come two on one on the arm, and it opens it up to a single leg here. So from there, it was just a chain of – Can we go back to that replay sweep real quick, Caleb? Let's put this on loop for a few, a few rounds here. Dante, talk us through it. It's really fast, okay. so I'm going to have to watch it like 17 times, but that's okay for me. No problem. So right here, you see I have one on the wrist. I have crossed wrist control, and I have same side elbow. And I passed his arm across. So when I went to pass his arm across, he actually didn't step forward because his balance is so good, he pulled back. When he pulled back, he kind of pulled me up into a leg drag. So you're going to see my crossed wrist. It comes from his wrist, and it goes straight into his crotch as my hand from the elbow is going to pass around to his leg. So I have a deep bite on his leg with my left arm. My head was peaked outside already, but I had my eyeball and his hip bone right there. So there was no guillotine or anything. So right from here, I beat his outside arm, and I came to a body lock. I tried to put my hook inside so we could keep in the mat, but it's ADCC. It doesn't matter where you go. Before we get to the, uh, taking the back, what do you think when you get up and you get the body lock? You're like, all right, I got ahead of him. What are you thinking then? You're just thinking, man, I got to capitalize on this. What's going through your head? Yeah, as soon as I got to the body lock and and um, kind of cracked him down, I tried to crack him down over his hip on 45 back towards me. As soon as I did that, I threw my right hook in. And as soon as I had like chest to back control, I knew there was pretty like he had almost no chance of getting out of there. This is kind of my position. This is like what I'm known for is my, my back takes and my back control. So I knew once I got here, I, I was pretty, pretty safe and I was going to secure the position. Dante, but that, I was not going to take any chances on that, on that. Like it was super interesting. Cause that's like a, like, I'm not sure if like, like you were going for that or if you were setting it up, but like what I noticed is once you came up for the single leg on the, on, from the half guard, some people would just stay with the single leg, right? And they'll try to run it. But for you, was it a part of strategy because you knew he might have been really good with defense on the single leg was to basically get to it, release release it right away and just jump to the back and get to the back or to the body lock? Not, that a part of strategy? not really because I, I believe that when I, I, I hit a misdirection with the two-on-one. So when I hit that misdirection, I came up on his leg where his hips were facing away on an angle from me. So if he were to sprawl right there or try any kind of uh, defense, he would end up kind of hitting his belly on the floor where I wasn't because I was more on an angle compared to him. Um, the reason I went to his back is because he tried to hug over me. I believe he wanted me to go to his back to try and defend the takedown because with ADCC, um, if you mat return somebody and they get up, you have to have 50% of their back on the floor. 
So I believe that he kind of gave me the back as an option to escape. Got it. Do you think I saw a lot of uh, success at ADCC with exactly basically what you did, like off of a sweep coming up to a single leg and then getting to the back off of it. Do you think that's the, the route to go at ADCC as opposed to the traditional like IBJJF style sweeps that some people are trying to attempt? It's hard to score in ADCC. You have to have 50% of the back at least or yeah. more glued on the floor for three seconds. And we talk about 50%, we're talking that if I like neck bridge backwards and my upper to lower back is just off the mat, it's not going to be points. There's... I mean, to pass somebody's guard or to sweep somebody, take somebody down flat on their back is a tough task. It's not easy. So um, back takes are something that are quite achievable for people because body triangle is allowed for three points. Uh, two hooks in is allowed as three points. So people can get to the back quite easily with a lot less effort if they're technically sound, more so than like a sweep or a takedown. What do you think after this one? I mean, you just beat Lucas Lepre. I mean, I would say, at, without a doubt, your biggest win of your career at that point. What, what, what's going through your head after this match is over with and you're in the ADCC semifinals? Oh, man, it was just uh, kind of you train really hard for a moment like this. It was it was not so much people want to say surreal, and a lot of moments are surreal, but I trained really hard for this, and I, I had my a vision. I had this, this in my mind that if I fought Lucas, this was a – position we were going to end up in this is how it was going to go i had programmed myself to believe that was going to happen so i didn't see exactly this i didn't see exactly this fight but i saw a lot of things that saw me as the victor against him so i think that really helped me and uh didn't kind of it didn't make me feel like it was too surreal cool cool all right i guess maybe we can queue up the next one i got one from kasai here for you if you want to uh cue that up caleb you versus Edwin, another one of your – I mean, it was it was easy to pick matches for you because you had so many big wins this last year. Talk, walk us through this one here a little bit. So Edwin, Edwin was uh, – he wasn't around as much at, around this time. Uh, he was coming off a, a knee injury before this. He had competed somewhat, but nothing really big. But I knew Edwin was super dangerous, and he's a uh, – He's really deceptively a big dude. I mean, he's tall. He's pretty thick, too, upper he body. Is. He's big for, like, a 77-kilogram guy, right? Yeah, yeah, he's definitely pretty big. So I knew I had to do some things with him. I knew I could wear him down. I knew I could kind of not frustrate him as much as I knew I could kind of, I could kind of, like, pollute his, his, his uh, mind a little bit. I could kind of pollute his uh, chain of attacks. So I just kept throwing a lot of things at him. I kept him defending a lot. He was really good in the scrambles. He was really good at doing these really like, like something he does right here. Look, he's going to get up. He's going to hit a forward roll, throw me off the stage. So he had a couple things like that. You were not going to let go of that by lock, huh? You're hanging on, climbing back on the mat. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, if I'm gonna fall off the stage, I want to bring you with me, man. I don't want to be the only guy going. So, <laughs> yeah. So uh, this was this was a tougher fight. He was a he had a different game, a uh, game that's harder to adjust for because he's just unique. You can just see how he is. You can see his posture and everything. He's a unique grappler. But um, once I got that, his kind of first wall of defense broken down a little bit, got to my attacks, I started to pick him apart. 
Yeah, when you approach that stance, he has a very yeah weird <clears throat> stance, right? Like he just stands straight up. It's he wants you to shoot so he can try and get to a dart, right? Yeah. So this wrestling up thing had to be adjusted, and you see later in the fight, I wrestle up quite a bit more, and um, it was kind of a matter of just kind of wearing him out and, and mixing my attacks. I knew he probably expected me when he's standing straight like that to sit up and blast through him. Um, anybody else I probably would, but I know that he's got a great front headlock series. He's got a good flying triangle series. And no matter how many times you see it, the shit still happens and it still works on people. So you always have to be cautious of that. Playing a guard. So when I was playing guard, I was trying to, um, stay seated back a little more. I hit a nice reversal right here. Yeah, it was a nice little entry into that. So this is this is a nice way that I can wrestle up from here because now he's not facing me. His hips are away. So more extreme than uh, the Lepre situation. His hips are completely turned away from me right now. So he has his back turned. We go off the mat right here. I believe he hurts his arm from posting. That should be points right there. Throwing people off the stage should be points. Push out rules for Kasai. Hell yeah. <laughs> I think that'd be great, by the way. I, 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 I wish we had push-out rules to incentivize people not playing the margins so close. Oh, yeah. We can get into that in a little bit, for sure. That's a that's a good topic. Yeah, yeah that was you nice, need it in the gear, for sure. Yeah, that was a nice little uh, scramble right there, though, where it was like he was trying to pass, and you just yeah. switched right into that technical stand-up sweep. I think the good thing that's yeah, happening so, is you guys are like move. They're moving like every fifteen thirty seconds. Like shit. If watch watch like I'm watching this now, and if I had to watch this for ten minutes, like we talk about like we want the sport to be like consumed by a bunch of people and fans. But like like I'm a big fan of this like six minutes just because like you could see Dante and Edwin, and, and they're both like exciting grapplers as well. But like they got they kind of have to go for it, you know. So it makes it exciting for me to minutes. see a scramble. This or one's ten. Else. Well, this one's a 10 minute. But that's the thing. People want to see that, man. People want to see excitement. I mean, to feed, to like, to feed people's entertainment is, is not complicated. I mean, look at Transformers movies and look at all kinds of things like this. It's, it's just basic. There's just stuff exploding. There's just stuff happening. There's people getting shot. Why do people like to watch John Wick? All kinds of stuff like this because it's exciting exciting it doesn't it doesn't even need to be that good but it's exciting so you if say... you take jujitsu and how like special and cool jujitsu is as a martial art you can make it super super exciting you know you can Would make you say it your, your style is similar to a transformers movie is that what you're saying yeah for sure i agree with that I'm always <laughs> no, no, that's, not crazy, that's not true that's not true that's only if you package it in six minutes there's a lot of people <laughs> that if you package it in six minutes you're gonna get a lot of transformers I want to see Dante in six minutes, sure. not 15 That's minutes. That's a nice little entry right there to standing up. As well. That's true. So you really want that technical stand-up uh, sweep on him, huh? Like the classic yeah, X-Guard so style if, sweep. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I was confident that if I got to the X-Guard on my shoulder, I would be down on his ankle. I'd be far away from him. I'd have my legs as a frame where he couldn't do his flying triangles. He definitely couldn't do his front headlock series. And it's only a matter of time that he's keeping his balance on one leg that he, he's going to get tired and that he's going to be worn out. So it was a good way for me to kind of run him around because of having my whole body while he's on one leg. So I kept trying to get in that position. I'm in it again in the X guard. He's got really, really different base. He's got good base. He's got very different base, how he gets up on his 
far leg. He kind of goes all noodly. He'll fall down. He'll get back up. He'll roll around. So, like I said, he's a tough guy to he's a tough guy to control and hold down. Yeah, he's a tough matchup, right? How much longer? There's not much longer left yeah. in this thing. We're we're getting pretty close to the end. I think right here you get the single. So leg. Here I try and wrestle up. Notice how his his reaction is getting a little. He's not looking for that front headlock or that triangle. Now he's looking more to try and get his legs free. So he's probably going to come out like gangbusters here pretty soon. Let's watch this last minute. This is when every jiu-jitsu minute turns into fire. So he's... I think he's pretty tired. He pushes me off stage right here. It's all good. Says sorry. Sorry, bro. Whatever. It's all good. Don't little worry. Hug, little hug on the way back in. All right, so here, uh, down on points, felt he was pretty tired. He takes a pretty poor shot. He ends up in a front headlock right here. Uh, when I get to this front headlock, I, I had it pretty tight, but I made the decision to switch to the back right here. Crowd stops us. Seatbelt, no hooks. So we start back in the middle. Good thing the crowd stopped. Back back they might have reset neutral yeah. if they had it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That was like blessing us. I'm going to throw the top hook in. I get the choke pretty tight, but I'm going to lock my body triangle before I start to squeeze. And that was it. So when was this? Was this almost one year ago today? I, I forget. 2019 at some point, right? Yeah, 2019 in like early April, mid-April, man. So almost a year. So something interesting strategically, I think, there is uh, – like you said, Edwin's uh, sort of like a counter wrestler, right? Like he wants you to, to take that easy shot he's giving you, but near the end you were up on points, so he had no choice but to react, and then that's how you got that front headlock and eventually got the finish off it, right? Yeah, so I, I knew from standing there wasn't a whole lot he could do. I saw his wrestling, his setups, like with his hands and his feints, he didn't really have them a whole lot. He was going to run forward. When he ran forward when he was tired, he wasn't going to have the penetration that he had on his shots. He was probably going to end up either getting like caught under a sprawl or in a good scenario in the front headlock. So once he got in the front headlock, I could threaten that uh, guillotine pretty good, and it ended up him breaking down to the turtle, and I got to his back. How often were you working your wrestling? Uh, I know you wrestled a lot before uh, the shutdown happened. How often were you going in and wrestling? I was wrestling often. I was wrestling with coaches um, all throughout the week. A couple of my coaches, a couple of guys I wrestle with, and then we're always doing wrestling specifics and studying and all things like that. So I, I work my wrestling quite extensively. Now, obviously, it's harder to work wrestling because wrestling is usually done in uh, schools and gyms and training facilities, things like this that are all pretty much shut down uh, right now. So any kind of wrestling we're getting in has to do with people we're in direct contact with and outside of the people at this house we're kind of just wrestling with each other doing some kind of drill that way but i do a lot would you say that wrestling is um still one of the biggest neglected skill sets in in modern grappling in jiu-jitsu at least um i feel like this year at adcc might have been the best wrestling <clears throat> we've seen ever at adcc but i would still say from my point of view that it's still uh, a lot of people don't like to do it they don't have like to train wrestling very much uh, 
man, I, I think people like to think they train wrestling because <laughs> they do some takedowns or they learn takedowns from other guys in their gym and they do them, you know, just how they do them. But for us as professional athletes, uh, you can't just learn how to do wrestling takedowns for no-gi jiu-jitsu. That doesn't exist. You need to learn how to wrestle. And that's the thing that I think I've done over a lot of people is I went and studied how to wrestle. You know, I put shoes on. I go to wrestling classes. I've been to seminars. I've been to training camps and studied how to wrestle. Feet uh, from standing to on the mat. You know, I've been over a lot of a lot of wrestling. I do a lot of wrestling. I don't just do takedowns. I don't just do arm drag to double leg and arm drag to single leg in jiu-jitsu class and shit like that. So I think that's the thing that people neglect is really learning how to wrestle, studying wrestling. So you're talking about the immersion. You're really going to a, like, I went with you to shoot one time. You're really in a wrestling practice, like you said, with shoes, training with people who are not training for jujitsu. They're training for a wrestling tournament. Like you're really immersing yeah. yourself in the culture, right? Exactly. You're like, you're the, the athlete. You're the one who is going to use that for your sport. There's no better guys to train with, to learn how to be better at takedowns than wrestlers. For you know, people, there's, uh, if you want to learn how to get strong, you learn how to get strong from really strong people. You don't learn how to get strong from kind of strong people. A lot of people have never had the chance to go to a real wrestling class, Dante. Uh, could you describe like the major differences? Um, everyone knows that it's potentially harder, but I mean, even from a technical standpoint, you know, how how do the two uh, train of thoughts? How are they different? Um, it's a hundred times harder like in general across the board because there's guys in jiu-jitsu who work really hard and there's guys in wrestling who work really hard but there's nobody in wrestling who doesn't work hard not at any kind of level not at any kind of like collegiate post-secondary level there's no guy who wrestles in any kind of legit program that doesn't work hard and there's a lot of guys who do jujitsu who don't work that hard. So <laughs> I, uh, I raised my hand. There. There's like a, there's like a, there's like a big difference with that. There's a huge difference with that. Like the demand for work and effort and intensity is like a hundred times more in wrestling than it is in jujitsu. Well, as I far think... as go ahead, yeah. go ahead, keep going. As far as like technique and everything, the you you drill a lot when you wrestle. You drill a lot in your their mindset and their um, attitude towards drilling is much different than people in jiu-jitsu for the most part. How so? They drill hard. If you take me down, I have to stand up in my in, right in my stance and be ready to hand fight with you again. Everything is to simulate live. Even though we're not going live, we have to simulate live. We have to faint. We have to move our hands. We have to snap you down. We have to give some resistance. We give a reaction. You know, and we drill, we drill, we drill nonstop. We we don't go by how long did we do it? Did you do it for five minutes? You do it for four minutes? We do it by reps. You do it a hundred times? You do it thirty times? Did you do it ten times? Did you do it five times? We go through things like this, reps. Do you bring that mindset to your jujitsu training? Do you try and adapt so some it of depends. that? It depends. It depends like how you want to like what kind of training is for you and how you're programming your training because that's a thing that that we don't really have in jiu-jitsu is a is a is a training program. Nobody really has a training program. You just go and you train and you follow what the guy says, you know. Put time on a clock and you spar, you put time on a clock and you drill. That's kind of the the generic way of jiu-jitsu training. There's no real set program. So if you're wanting to do just single 
repetitions of something in jujitsu, there's so many different little things, right? There's so many different little things. Um, let's say for a knee cut pass, there's so many different little details there that it's impossible to just drill one of them like so many times. You know what I mean? Like, what are you going to drill? Just like how to get to the half guard, but not really pass 300 times. I mean, you have to drill the whole sequence of the moves and you have to drill it in a lot of different ways. You have to live train. You have to kind of start somewhere and ask your partner to give you resistance. There's a lot of different types of drilling and types of um, position training you can do for those techniques. I think something that's that, something uh, I think you can bring from wrestling too. I think something that adds okay, into that. Think... Go ahead, Bear. Go, Mike. Go, Mike. Go, Mike. All right. I think something ahead, that adds into yours. a lot of the stuff that you said uh, about the difference in culture, Dante, is uh, if you go into a rest. I wrestled when I was younger. If you go into a wrestling room, it's literally it's a hundred percent of the people that are there are training to compete. You don't just go to wrestling yeah. practice just because you're trying to lose weight. It's sort of a sort of a different uh, culture, right? Absolutely, absolutely. And then when you go up higher than that, when you go to like, I'm from Ohio and I mean, wrestling's huge here. So like there's high schools here that the wrestlers are kind of like the superstars and Ohio State University, Penn State, Iowa, these programs like this, it just gets more and more intense as you go up. I mean, they're crazy over there, man. Bear, what was your question? No, but even talking on that, like I think you bring up a pretty good point and I think you mentioned like before Dante, you said like, we're stuck in a lot of old world or a lot of like old cultural things as a sport and as a culture. Do you think that like our current average jujitsu class, as far as like how we train, drill, learn techniques is kind of like antiquated, like, and it could be, it could use like severe revamping as far as us learning a technique, not for the competitor, just for like a normal student that goes to normal class. I believe there's some things you can implement, but you got to remember like one thing that Mike said, everybody who's in the wrestling room is there to compete. And that's not the case with jujitsu. A uh, majority of your class are people who are there to, to learn and in, in a way to learn in a way to continue doing something, it has to be enjoyable. Getting up and having the guy slap you in the back of the head 15 times, a hundred times in a practice is not fun. I mean, it's not fun. It's not fun. Even for the guys competing, it's not fun, but it's it's what you discipline yourself to do. So do I think that you can bring some of that in? You can have a, a model where you say, I want 10 repetitions. I want 20 repetitions of this. I want this. I want that. And you can implement some things, and that can definitely help and, and boost your students' learning capabilities. But I don't think you can really bring the wrestling culture into, like, commercial jujitsu or your average student. Speaking of, it's sort of on the same type of vein. You're really big into, into lifting and strength and conditioning, Dante. What do you think people are doing wrong out there or that people can improve on in the lifting side of things? The the main thing I think is wrong is that people try and do things too sport-specific when they work out or they lift. I mean, people lose – people forget what the gym is used for. I mean, the gym is used in – the, in the simplest definition I can give you is used to get stronger. I mean, that's it. You don't get better at jiu-jitsu lifting. Um, you don't become a better wrestler lifting. But you become a stronger athlete, a stronger person who's less susceptible to injury, who's stronger, whose muscle lasts longer, who has higher muscle endurance because of lifting, because of proper strength training. So in order to get proper strength training, you should listen to people who 
either train really strong people or are really strong people. They know how to get strong. They know how to make you strong, especially people who are like that and can train athletes, you know, because not everybody's a power lifter or a bodybuilder. I'm not saying that. I mean, I know there's a lot of people out there who say like, oh, that's Dante. He powerless because they see my videos on Instagram. But I don't think you guys want to see me do five sets of bicep curls. I don't think you guys want to see me four sets of chin ups, max effort, like as many reps as I can do. That's the boring shit. But that's 80 to 85 percent of my work. 15 or 20 percent of my work are the cool videos that people see online of me lifting really heavy. That's less than 20 percent of my work. The majority of my work is stuff that people wouldn't even care about. You know what I mean? So I I just think that people try and bring things to sports specific. The gi doesn't belong in the weight room. Um, you, sh- you know, things like this. You don't need to be um, holding like weird things and doing things like this. If you want to work on your grip or you want to work on something like, you know, choking on the gi, that's great. But if you're telling me that you want to be stronger, but you're doing it for jujitsu, so you're deadlifting with a towel, that doesn't make sense to me, you know? <laughs> That, that sort of leads into a fan question from the chat right now. Is uh, guys wants to know, do you do anything for grip strength? Yeah, hundred percent. But that's a that's a completely like side thing. If I'm going to do something for grip strength outside of my regular strength training, there's a lot of things that I do. I like to do a lot of pinch holds. I like to do a lot of holds where I'm holding like a dumbbell or something, or something like this where I'm flexing my hand, where I'm pinching two plates together. Um, any kind of like holding the gi and and making grips for as long as I can against resistance bands, that's specific grip training. That's something specific that's in addition to my uh, strength training that I do already. You know, if I, if I had to lose more weight or I needed to up my cardio, I'm going to do something that's cardio specific in addition to my strength training. I'm not going to do, I need to have more cardio. So I'm going to lift for cardio. That doesn't even make sense. Or I'm going to lift to be, like better cardiovascularly no you're gonna lift to get stronger whatever else you need outside of that if you need to improve something specifically you target that specifically what are your numbers at these days before we move on from lifting oh man my numbers are pretty high i i do a lot of different variations so it's very rare that i'm programmed to do like one uh squat rep or one deadlift rep or anything like that so i'm always doing a lot of variations I, the last big lift I did, I did a uh, front squat double with 435, but it was on a like this harness thing that makes it harder. It's like this torture device. <laughs> it's like it makes you feel like what coronavirus is like, man, because it just crushes your chest. It's like you can't breathe with it, nothing. So, so the bar sits on you. For coronavirus right yeah, now, I like that. it. You've been, ready, putting man. yourself in I'm a torture ready. device. We got to send Chase I'm out ready. there. I'm going to send Chase out there to get uh, strapped up nah, to your no, torture okay, device. Michael. I think you got fix, this one. Fix my no problem. <laughs> I think yeah, I need man. Dante, why do you think, why do you think, why do you, why do you think uh, most athletes at the elite level in nogi grappling, if they do both gi and gi, why do you think towards nogi season, they always specifically do two things? It seems like they go in the weight room and they just start wrestling. Like it seems like everything else is like. 30% of the focus, but literally for two or three months, like that's been the formula over the, like, the last eight years, it seems like, and maybe even earlier than that. For sure. When you look at it, the majority of like jujitsu and when jujitsu started to become professional since like, since the beginning and even more so with more events today is in Nogi. 
So I think things just are taken a lot more serious, man. I think they're taken a lot more serious. I think people find the time to wrestle and lift seriously. Anybody who's been through any training camp or any kind of event is going to tell you that training for ADCC is the worst because it's like everything that you normally do on top of like wrestling and all these specific training drills and all this shit that's just is crazy. It's way harder, you know, but I think that it's just because of a different different thing. You can't hide behind that. You have to be you have to be strong. You have to be able to wrestle. You have to be able to scramble. You got to be tough. You're going to get exposed. You can't hide behind anything, you know. Just because you're technical, it doesn't matter. You have to have those things. All right, let's cue up our last uh, match. Uh, another big win for you last year. Nogi won here versus Azaki. Had you fought Azaki before at the color belts? And stuff? Oh, you fought him in the in the gi at Black Belt, I remember. Yeah. How many times have you fought Azaki before? Yep. So Isaac and I have fought three times. We fought at Juvenile Blue Belt in the absolute final. Then we fought at Pans in 2000. 18 or 2019 and then we fought again in 2019 in this one so here we go this is your first time with him no gi correct yep all right fight to win it's a pretty quick match here walk us through what's going on a little wrestling so i i knew that his wrestling he was gonna he could have a lot of trouble with me i knew he's super strong so i tried to weigh down on his head a lot notice how his back starts to round a little bit uh, you'll start to see it more. I knew that by weighing on his head hard and staying in the pocket and kind of staying on him. Notice how when I'm, I'm moving out, I'm kind of moving on an angle and coming back towards him. I'm starting to weigh on his head really heavy. And I knew one of two things. I knew either he was going to take a really poor shot or he was going to stand up straight from the stress on his neck and lower back and give me a good shot. So the more I'm pulling, the more I see his background, start to kind of see him stand up here. I know he's kind of getting fatigued. By fatigue, I don't mean that he's winded whatsoever. I mean the stress on his neck and his back here. So he takes a shot. I sprawl. He shot to both knees right there, so he had no penetration on his shot. So as soon as I got my legs away from him, he was kind of frozen on his knees. He power bombs me right here, kind of DDTs himself, and he taps. Oh, man. <laughs> Yeah, that's a risky move, powerbombing inside of the DDT. <laughs> DDT. Jake the Snake Roberts. You just Roberts. made my day, by the way. You made my day. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you you have a, a great arm and guillotine. Huh? Do, you, do you do the uh, high elbow, or do you usually stick with the arm and guillotine? I, I'm, the arm in's my preferred, man. I, I kind of do both. I kind of do without the arm, and I mix in the high elbow. But if I have the arm in, that's my preferred. Nice. What was the difference, Dante, Definitely. on fighting Zaki on gi and no gi? Like, he's a beast in, in, in gi. What do you think the differences were for you when you're fighting him no gi? He doesn't have the grips, or um, what's what's the biggest ones for you? They're very, they're very different. Um, in my opinion, he's almost more dangerous with no gi because he's so explosive and he's so fast that with grips you can kind of slow him down a little bit. But uh, he also has a game in the gi where he can really, like, hold a fight well. Um, he can really get ahead on the scoreboard, and he's a super hard guy to score on. So this being a sub-only fight, I could risk potentially him taking me down or potentially him even passing my guard. So I didn't have a whole lot of worry about that. I was kind of worried about finding the submission within that 
eight or 10 minute time limit we had on the fight. Another thing is I knew when, once I got a submission, I had to lock it up tight because he's, he's a tough dude. He's, he doesn't tap easy. He doesn't tap to almost anything. So I knew I had to get something real tight. Going forward, what are some, uh, when, obviously we're in limbo. We don't know when things are going to start up, but when things start up, back up, what are some uh, matches, you, some super fights you'd like to have? Oh, man, I'd like to have uh, some super fights in Kasai, in Grapple Fest. No, but like know, with who? I'm, who are some athletes there. you'd like to go against? So one one guy who talked about wanting to grapple me, and it just kind of came to me. I just kind of remembered it, and he's like a guy I respect a lot, and a guy I really just love to compete against is Durino. Oh, nice. Oh, that'd be an yeah, awesome be one. Match. Yeah, yeah. Be a good fight. So, then that's another thing that I think. I, I'm I'm a fan of jiu-jitsu, too. I love jiu-jitsu. I'm a nerd. I know all about the history and all the old champs and all this stuff. I watch jiu-jitsu as much or more than anyone. And that's one I think is just a great matchup. He's an explosive dude. He's a guy who has a um, – he doesn't care, has that kind of I don't care attitude. He comes out to scrap every time. I think that'd be a great fight. Yeah, Dorino is one of my heroes, man. He'll take a fight with anybody in the UFC. He fights like twice a month if he can or more. I mean, he's just an animal. Shout out to Dorino. Yeah, I mean, I know the guy's not scared. I know the guy's not scared to fight anybody. You know what I'm saying? So nothing but respect to the guy. But I remember he offered it up back in the day. We had a laugh about it. But, I mean, his career's going really well. My career's going really well. It'd be cool to... uh Get yeah, together and have a good Absolutely. fight. That's a great one. Something we've been having a lot of fun talk with athletes about. Athletes seem to be pretty passionate about this. Uh, is there any rules that you would change in jiu-jitsu? Anything that you would change about rules to make it more enjoyable for yourself and for the fans? So something you kind of touched on briefly when we were watching one of the Kasai matches is a push-out rule. I think that's a good one, man. I, I really do. Uh, I think in the gi, we see too much of a stop and come back to the middle, stop and come back to the middle, stop, come back to the middle. Oh, man, uh, you lose people's uh, attention. You lose the crowd's attention when we're stopping and coming back to the middle. And a 10-minute fight turns into a 17-minute fight with all these numbers on the scoreboard that nobody really understands. Hmm. Um, You know what I'm saying? We have, like, two points, one advantage, a couple penalties, and a couple negatives. It's It kind of... People don't know what's going on with these things. So I think it'd be good to have where you get pushed out and it costs you a point. Yeah, Hell yeah. And, I'm well, all about it. And there's definitely, people, out, there's definitely sure. people who, I mean, there's no question that there's people who do that on purpose. They know that they're up two points, and if they just back up to the edge, they can They can only give up an advantage at that point, right? And they, Yeah, they pretend they're circling. They, you know, they argue or they do whatever. Um, I think they're in, in the gi and in – IBJJF, Nogi, there has to be some kind of thing that that's like has discipline to it that's really enforceable action in these positions like lapel and 50-50. And then 50-50 lapel, like now they we combine the two. There's got to be <laughs> something that's like, hey, man, there's got to be some action here. Somebody's got to do something because it's easy. I, I'm, I'm never going to say that a position should be banned because I just think – if somebody's smart enough to invent something like that, because I see Keenan use the lapel beautifully when he competes. I see him do crazy, amazing things with the lapel. So he's not the issue whatsoever, you know. And the 50 is not the issue whatsoever because you see a lot of guys that can use the position well. But there has to be some kind of thing where it's 
there's some discipline about it, man. You got to move. Somebody's got to sweep somebody. Somebody's got to get out. We got to unlock the position and stand up. Something, you know. Yeah, what's what's I that rule in wrestling? They have like a stalemate, stalemate, stalemate position where stalemate they reset call. neutral. Stalemate. Bring it in. Yeah, bring yeah. it in. I got I, I gotta plug I, I gotta plug this Dante and just like just as an example as an as an athlete, uh, regardless of the time, let's call it six minutes, let's call it ten minutes. As an athlete, if your rule set was you only got points to side mount, mount, and back take, those are your only ways to score points. How would that change you as an athlete as far as like competing and just trying to do more things, whether it's um, trying to die for stuff or whatever would that would that help you as an athlete and make it less like complicated from a rule set and point standpoint probably probably because those are the like me i think of myself as a guy who tries to finish fights um i try yeah. and i try and finish fights and even though i don't always finish fights i'm getting to positions where I can finish fights. For I'm sure. getting to near For submissions sure. and I'm getting to my goal is to get to side control mount or the back because I know that that's my highest percentage of finishes from there. So I think that would help me because it just throws everything else away and there's no worry about anything else. Yeah. I think that's, that would help me, but that's almost kind of a way I look at jujitsu now. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm saying, I'm, I'm always just saying like competitors and athletes are going to play the rules so they can win, right? Whether you want to be a finisher yeah. or, you don't want to be at the end of the day you want to win on points if that's what's going to give you the victory right but like if you're if I'm playing guard and i got the craziest lapel guard and like you're gonna to have to stay in there for or 50 50 for like six minutes or five minutes if i give you the ability now to be able to jump to a diving roll to try and back take or foot lock or something and the other person comes up but you don't get penalized because they didn't pass your guard you know you're just still going for something it allows you to create action and movement and just as long as they don't establish a mount position on you you're safe right it just continues to go and it allows yeah. the fight to flow you know so dante there's, you, there's, you just... I, honestly it, it probably work it probably work because nowadays a lot of jujitsu <laughs> comes down to these eight to eight advantage type things or these sure. you know what i mean like if you took the sweeps out of it then nobody did anything in the fight like that's what it's i'm just saying. a bunch of that's sweeps just a bunch of advantages. If you didn't have those, the fight would be zero zero. So, shit. For sure. Dante, um, you mentioned that you know making a match six minutes wouldn't really change your style. But we hear a lot of guys come on here and say like, "Oh, if it's a ten minute match, I gotta conserve my game or <laughs> conserve my gas yeah. tank." I mean, it's we've heard world champions say that. Do you think a lot of guys just don't have faith in their gas tank? Like, what are they not doing, or, or what's different about them? I mean, they're winning at the highest level, just like you, but. They're playing a totally different style. You can just go as, as as long as you need to. It seems like you know why is that the case? I don't know if it's just like the training or just how I am or or what. But I think something that has to do with this kind of thing is efficiency of movement. I mean, you can be very explosive, but you have to have efficiency of movement. You have to be able to do things and and get to certain positions where you can still create action and create movement but you're using technique and you're using your body in a way that you're not just like wasting energy that it's not just this uncontrolled explosive movement so i think that has something to do with it quite a bit i know some people like to kind of lull people into this feeling and then you know explode on them but i think that if you just keep a good pace going and you keep attacking the whole time um you have good technique you're getting into good positions you're being making like conscious decisions 
you can conserve your energy enough to be able to pick up the pace as the fight goes on. Dante, a fan here just recommended that you, uh, in the YouTube comments, that you have a match with Wagner Hosha for the BMF grappling title. What do you think about that? <laughs> I'm down. That's cool. <laughs> Whenever, man. Wagner's what, got a couple wins over me. I mean, what, I would love to. Love what was to it like competing goal. against Wagner at ADCC? Wagner's a tough guy to fight, man. He's a different guy. He's got a different style. Super slippery. Uh, super sweaty. So super sweaty. He's a different guy to fight, man. And he's a strong guy. He's got good jiu-jitsu. He's a vet. He's just an all-around, like, really, really good competitor. So he's a tough guy to fight for sure. JT was saying he was calling him slow. Did we get any good Wagner trash talk towards you at ADCC? <laughs> oh, man. He was uh, – v- Wagner, like, talked a lot of shit to me, man. Wagner, <laughs> Wagner talked – he just talks the whole time. And then when uh, he went in for, like, a, a takedown shot, we bumped heads, and he looked at the ref, and he's like, that was on purpose. And I was just like, man, the whole fight, you talk shit to me. And we need to get Wagner mic'd up, dude. You, need to get you know I got to play up. the refs. I'm like, you, man. <laughs> He's like, you know I got to play him, bro. I'm like, come on, man. The ref was like, that was on purpose. Don't do it again. I'm like, bro, this guy hasn't shut up the whole fight. This guy doesn't stop talking. What kind of stuff was he uh, saying to you before that? This is one of my favorite things in jiu-jitsu is finding out stuff Wagner says to people during matches right now. <laughs> oh, yeah. I know. That's, like, this is like, like a I'm new gonna, thing. He's like, he's like, I'm going to pass. I don't know when, but I'm going to pass. Like, All right, man. <laughs> All right, bro. I, I don't know when, but I'm going to pass. <laughs> oh, man. I, I say that in the training room, too, all the time. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. <laughs> yeah. Um, what are some other tough opponents that come to, to your mind over the years? You faced, uh, you know, the, the who's who of, jet, of grappling, but do you have any favorite wars or matches that you look back on, win or losses that you know you really enjoy that you think highlight good jiu-jitsu? Every single fight I've ever had with Canudo since Brown Belt. Yeah, that's a fair choice. Canudo's nonstop yeah. action as well. And Nogi, Canudo. when you guys one one and one against each other, in Nogi now I believe, right? Canudo and I one and one, yep. Got to get that rubber match going sooner or later. What is it about Man, fighting you know, Hanato? What what's fighting Hanato like? So fighting Hanato is like Hanato is one of those dudes who, I mean, you're not really gonna find anybody in your gym that can do what Hanato does. But you can find some people who can kind of emulate everybody else, but it's really hard to find somebody who can emulate Hanato. You know what I mean? You can make note of of, of quite a few things that he does and. I believe I have a really good game for him, and I, I kind of know his tricks a little bit, but you can't really find anybody who's going to do that, like, spider monkey type stuff that he likes <laughs> to do, you know what I mean? So uh, he's a tough guy to prepare for. He's a dangerous guy. And on top of all of that things with, like, the, the cherry on the Sunday about him is he knows the rules really well, and he can play the rules quite well. So Super he's smart. all these like really dangerous things and on top of it he's like really intelligent he's a really good competitor so it just makes it tougher to fight him victor doria just jumped in the comments and he says uh wagner does that in training too so <laughs> <laughs> yeah i know so wagner and i had our first like shit talking moment when i was like a purple belt in training <laughs> <laughs> how'd that go down how'd, how'd you get into that so like i i took him i took him down and like this like just regular like this specific training and he's like yeah nice single leg nice single leg fucker but you won't do it again and i'm like <laughs> what 
Like, Who's this guy? And he's just talking smack to me the whole time, and I'm like, kind of like looking at him, like, dude, why are you? Well, what's wrong with you? You're in the I training mean? room right now. This is when you were training as cyborgs when you were color belt. Yeah, when I was like uh, 19 or 20, when I was a purple belt, I'm like kind of looking at him, kind of like I'm getting like upset. I don't want to like, you know. I don't want to tell this guy to fuck off, like, when I'm visiting from somewhere else. So I'm, like, kind of just looking at him. And then at the end of the training, we would do this, like, circle. You know what I mean? We'd jog in a circle. And he comes up to me and he hugs me. And I kind of, like, looking at him, like, get off me, bro. You know what I mean? He's like, that was awesome training. We got to go again next round. I'm like, okay. And then when he, like, runs away from me, I'm like, that's just how this guy operates, bro. Like, that's, just that's, just, that's just how he functions. So he would just talk shit after, and I'd be like, yeah, whatever. I'm not even going to get upset at it. Cause Nonstop this, I guess, mental warfare from is, Wagner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we got we to figure out how to get uh, Wagner mic'd up. Got to call in on the show. Absolutely. Have you fun. Hey, what about, uh, what about Dante's, um, what about Dante's uh, input on, on leg locks? We were talking about that with uh, Lachlan, and you train with, like, you know, leg lock guys and you, you you have a really good defense on that stuff um dante but we were saying like we we feel like it's like it's almost like an edge on on no gi grappling and gi grappling it's a it's a it's an area of focus where people can get really good at and you know 80 percent mm-hmm. of the other people doing jujitsu are not good at it do you do you believe in that think, thinking that that's a really big edge on high level grapplers out there or no for sure because so I think you saw this little bit of like a uh, – you're starting to see a little more like the uh, the line starting to get a little bit more bold between the no-gi guys and the gi guys. There's starting to be a lot more specifics. There used to be a lot of guys who did both, and it used to be the majority of guys who did both. There used to be very few just strictly no-gi and vice versa. So I think that when it first came out, it was something like what you just said. It took – four six eight months of studying to be like the best in the world at it you know to be the best leg locker in nogi jiu-jitsu like when it first came out because everybody ignored it everybody neglected it so is it at that level now no people have definitely caught way up but it's still at a level that if you if you're highly proficient with leg locks and the whole inside outside game and leg entry game you, you definitely have an advantage. There, you definitely have an advantage. There's still some guys out there who are, you know, world-class jiu-jitsu guys who are pretty blind when you start to go on that side of the that side of the game right there. Well, um, Dante, anything else on your mind? We're running down to the end of the show here. You know, I have a few minutes left. It's been a great time chatting with you, but anything else you wanted to bring up before we get out of here? Oh, man. You know, I'm quarantined or shelter in place just like everybody else, bro. So almost anything's exciting to me at this point. Whatever you guys really want to talk about, whatever you guys really want to do. I uh, got one for just you. Just basically for all my students out there, I hope all my students are watching this and get a little bit motivated or see that hear that I'm still training and lifting like a madman. So I know during these times, uh, for my students and for the whole jiu-jitsu community it's tough to have that uh, motivation or that discipline to stick to your training program when you're away from your friends partners coaches you know what i mean but you gotta stick to it man you gotta stick to it this time is definitely gonna make us all stronger uh you just talked about your favorite people to compete against who are some people that you're like man 
I'm not looking forward to a match with this person. Like they're just a pain in the ass. They're just frustrating to deal with. Who are some of your those people for you? The worst guy to fight ever is Josh Hinger. <laughs> Why is that? I, I like watching Josh, those matches. Josh Why Hinger do you not? The worst guy. <laughs> describe describe matches guy with Josh. Because he just holds the back of your head. Like he just pulls on the back of your head no matter where he is for ten minutes straight. Could be your close guard, your half guard doesn't matter he just he doesn't take his hand off your head and he's got like the longest arms where he can like reach your head or reach the back of your neck from anywhere and it's just it just sucks to wear out your neck a little bit it wear it like it wears out all like your back your neck he's he's really strong he's super um like he's got that old man strength you know and he's (laughs) super hard to sweep so He's just a guy, like, he's just going to be, like, on top of you. He might not even be putting pressure on you to pass your guard, but you just, you got to always push him off. You push him off your head, push him off your head. So it gets to a point where you're just like, I just want this guy off of me, man. I just I don't want this guy on top of me anymore. <laughs> Is there any uh, athletes maybe from different weight classes that you don't compete against that you're like, you you like watching their matches? Anybody you think is exciting that you, you like to watch? Oh, yeah, there's a lot of guys, man. There's a lot of guys, so... Um, I think that, so if I'm going to start with like some younger guys, I think that, uh, I don't know how everybody says his name, but, uh, um, you guys had him on the who number one may mayhem mayhem. Uh, mayhem. Yeah, yeah. 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 His nickname yeah, is mayhem, mayhem though, I think. Yeah. 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 yeah well, he, Dude, is that guy's amazing. So he's really good. I really like watching him compete. I think he's got great energy when he competes. Uh, I like to watch. I like to watch all kinds of guys, man. I think it's awesome watching, you know, Gordon compete, Gary compete. Um, Kainon's another guy I like watching compete. He's very, very good at jujitsu. Lighter weight guys, man. I don't watch too many of the lighter weight guys, to be honest. Outside of uh, Mateus Gabriel, nice. I like his game a lot. Yeah, featherweight world champ. Gotta love Mateus Gabriel's game. Finisher as well. Who do you think's got the best leg locks out there right now? Oh, man. So, of anybody that, that I've met or trained with, um, I think Jason Rao probably has the best that I've personally seen or somebody that I've trained with. But yeah. as far as, like, who's the best leg locker right now, I mean, I don't know, man. That's pretty tough. Um, I think any of the Danaher guys are up there. I think they're all pretty interchangeable. I think they're all different. I think Eddie Cummings is still Eddie Cummings, like the dude you whisper about in corners. You know, nobody really <laughs> sees him anymore. Nobody really hears from him or anything. But I train with him. I, I can tell you, he's still he's still super good, man. I was right there when you trained with him. I actually filmed that role. That was a that was a really good role. What was it like rolling with Eddie at Unity? It's awesome, man. He's got a he's got a great style, and he's a great guy to train with. He can he keeps the pace very flowy, very very good good energy, and he can pick up the pace and have a hard roll when when it needs to be done too. And like I said, that's the most important thing about having a good training partner is somebody who can have those different speeds. You know what I mean? Right on, guys. Well. I think that wraps it up for us today. Dante, thank you so much for calling in. We had a great time talking with you, sharing some of the information you have. Stay safe up there in Ohio. 
Let's let's talk about next week's yep. lineup real quick before we go. Next week's lineup is insane. Absolutely. Next next week we have twenty seven IBJJF World Golds and eleven ADCCs throughout the show. So it's Monday we got Felipe Pena and Hamilo together. Tuesday Zanji Hibero. Wednesday we got Gordon calling back in this time with uh, Nicky Rod instead of Craig Jones. So Gordon and Nicky Rod. We'll see if Nicky Rod accidentally calls the cheerleading show like Craig did. His shirt will um, be off for sure. Then Thursday we have uh, <laughs> thir- thir- Thursday we have Guy Mendez, which is another great one. And then Friday, I mean, those are all great shows. But the one I might be most excited about is Friday we have Bernardo Fria and Marcelo Garcia calling yeah, that's in. That's a wild show. So getting very, Marcelo very on the show is going to be really cool. Yeah, a lot of legends yeah. calling in next week. Tomorrow as well, there's another show coming up. Uh, Eleven or no, noon Eastern, eleven Central, where I am. Where me, it's going to be calling it Saturday Match Rewind. It's going to be live, just like this. Me, Mikey Musumeci, and Tommy Langecker are going to be hosting a show together every Saturday. We're just going to watch matches and just joke around and commentate them. So I picked some old matches. They don't know about them, so I think it'll be a fun show. So tune in and check that one out. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, uh, thanks again for tuning in at home. Stay safe and sane out there this weekend. Uh, Make sure you watch Michael's Match Rewind with Tommy and Mikey. And we'll see you next week. We'll be back with more episodes of Who's Number One. Dante, thanks again, man. We'll talk to you again soon. And we'll see you guys. Thanks, everyone. Sometime soon. Have a good weekend. Later, Dante. Later, guys.